Good afternoon. My name is Tevo, Pastor T of the DFW Leader Ministry Online Fellowship at onlinefellowship.us and home of art. Abiding in James 317 Relationship Theology. Hopefully your art is positive, healthy, keeping on, keeping on with Christ, growing, doing the right thing with your relationships instead of the other kind of art, which is the cunning manipulative dark side of a relationship, the dark side of art theology. So we're here today just discussing the, you know, what goes on under the name of Christ following when you say you're born again. I really thought of chauvinism. I'd never had any chauvinism growing up till I moved to the deep southwest where ministry is totally different than the east coast. My father had been a pastor and I was raised with Christians many generations back so I knew real respectful men and from men for men and then godly capable women who were leaders. So when you go out in the Christian world you think that people are not going to be tough if they say they're born again. You think they're not going to be rough or con artists or things where they have their relationship skills not even crafted and they don't even want to. Maybe they disrespect their mother, other women, and there's distrust. So what I'm going to do is there is the family side of caustic family dysfunction, people who have not gotten, you know, been taught respect for their grandmothers or forgiven their grandmothers or mothers and fathers, which is understandable. I've done that. I've had to do that myself. And then I work on me. But the other part is, what is in the doctrinal bathwater? Do you think, after what I've been around and experiencing a long time in ministry, do you think that what is called chauvinism and racism in the Christian sense, that bias, respecter of persons, only respecting certain kinds, which James 3.17 says we are to have that God's love that represents God love, the wisdom from above is without partiality. That means with respect equally for everybody in the fear of the Lord. Do you think that is part of what may be going on with the people driving people away from the church, the falling away that's going on, the temptation, just stay at home, listen online, which we're for anyone, anywhere, whether they listen online or go to a church, formerly or a house church, we're for whatever God is telling you because you know your certain, your certain needs and the situation you've got on hand. And if your location where you can choose to fellowship out of your house is healthy, is safe, is not caustic, is not biased, and you've got to know from God, you do your best. But then there is an escape clause. If they don't change, you've tried, you've given it your best, but now it's starting to affect your family, your marriage, your person, that accuser, boaster, lover themselves, that caustic, not valuing relationships all equally, not respecting the relationships of the family of God or anyone else then you have the God's permission, a command from Paul to turn away. And we have. But we know it's out there, the good, the bad, and the not. When I moved to the deep southwest, I didn't know what I would uncover. I didn't know that a woman with just being simply strong in her own ministry would be considered a threat. That it would be like, I got to you know, show my authority that I'm over you, that I own you, that I... I mean... It's belittling and it is 
old-timey. It's like old-timey chauvinism. It accuses you for simply coming in an earth suit of a female. That helped me, and I'm talking only to Christians. Hey, listen, I'm not talking to anybody else ever on my broadcast. I'm only talking to Christian ministers. Anyone else who's not a Christian is welcome. You're fully respected. But please know that every comment, every written, spoken article is a direct word for the body of Christ, for the men and women Christian leaders, and anyone who has an ear to hear. So when I came down, I was not prepared for what I found was chauvinism, misogyny, that means woman-hating, twisting at some of the worst places. Not all of them are like this, but at the grassroots where the rubber meets the road of relationships in real life, I found certain occasions more than three times, so I teach on it as a result of that, that there was like this good old boy. I can't just say it, but it was not a, it was a good old boy maybe a red state good old boy idea that a woman is chattel, a woman is owned, a woman is a possession, a woman is under them, even if they're not a member of their ministry or they're not married to them or they're not even in their family. And I resent that. You know, I don't resent them as a personal offense that I would, you know, not forgive them. I meant I resist it. That's a better term. I assess it as incorrect that it's not Jesus he's not a chauvinist and then I refer back to that's one reason I've started art that God gave me art abiding relationship theology is because the precept the simple comment of teaching how do you teach abiding relationship theology well you act like James 3:17 even under pressure with God's help that means ministry family privately publicly but then the other part would be how did Jesus act and react when he was alive on the earth in ministry, his private life, with his mother Mary, with his disciples, with all kinds of people, all kinds of folk? How did he act and react in all the relationships? And then you act just like him. And I respect Jesus for his respect of males and females equally, not throwing the first stone at the woman caught in adultery. And if you look as an aside comment... When the whelp, Western, well, they weren't Western European, they're Middle Eastern European, they're Middle Eastern Levitical patriarchs of the Old Testament, the Pharisees, when they brought the woman, they caught the woman in adultery. Of course, she wasn't doing it by herself. But they only, this is typical Levitical patriarch teaching, disrespect for women, preferring the men, having bias, but also a degraded view of females accusative view they only brought the woman that was caught in adultery and they avoided bringing the man they let him off so from the office of the prophet and the apostle I teach on these things so the idea is you look if you're if you're clueless if you have no idea what is under the law how you treat people if they are in sin how you treat males and females the gender issues their choices then just read Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John when he was alive and how he treated and respected, never demeaned, never had bias, never accused, all relationships, and you'll do pretty much fine. When you find out who did accuse in the New Testament, it was never Jesus. He was up front. He didn't accuse the Pharisees. He tossed over their table and made a dramatic prophetic act. 
All right, but you see that the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the big religious system, they're the only ones who accused, except for the people who are trying to plot against Jesus and even Judas, you know, that type of people. So as a Christian out in the field of ministry, I teach ministers to survey the doctrines that they listen to, that they're abiding by, that they train others in. Then I also submit, reread the New Testament apart from the law, find out what the New Testament version of the prophet is compared to the old, that's Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, and then act like Jesus under pressure in every relationship, like he did in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and he was the prophet in the office apostle of the whole church, and act like him and you'll do great. And his name will be respected and honored and cleared of all the blame that he's been getting lately in the press and in local people because of the word born again now being almost a stench to the nostril of people who've been through persecution or hate speech or ridicule or their mama scolded them and beat them down with the Bible or, you know, people that scream at people at funerals on TV that say they're Christians and you're going to hell and go to burn and you're, you know, you're all these horrible names they call people of the gay community and of black people and, you know, woman haters. My heavens, let's work on ourselves. This is for the born again people. You're not responsible for anyone else but you, but you could work on you. I'll work on me and we all work on ourselves. It'll be great. So if I look at the root of the law of why today in Christian ministry out in the field there's this general, especially out here, <laughs> there's generally this red state usually, but it isn't only red state, but there's generally a red state country that's never left town that is dug in their heels, self-satisfied like the village, the big village, but they're still got great gifts, great callings, great education, and they found themselves, but they haven't found equality in deep thought about current, not under the law matters. You know, I'm concerned that when I moved down, thinking that this is like the Mecca of the Bible Belt, you know, the buckle on the Bible Belt, you'd think. And instead, you find a plastic buckle. <laughs> Read that for any way you mean it. You'll find it there. <laughs> Here. <laughs> a plastic buckle comes off too fast. But also, it can be fixed. And you think, what is real, what is false in Christianity and in ministry? And that's where we started this examination of noble Berean of doctrines. And even of my own life, I let the Lord say, well, what's wrong? What's not organic in me? Organic in Christ following means added human, no added human synthetic mixture. And I think right now there's so much of it. There's too much of it to delve into. But we want to say, look at everybody individually, not as a stereotype. Take each one particularly by themselves and every group, every church, and every fellowship, every house fellowship, as a one-by-one -one 
watch them carefully, discern each one, and take the ones that you can that are good and keep the ones that are good. Otherwise, let them go. Because it's that bad. It's that caustic in too many places in the Christian community. When I remember my deep south daddy born in Dallas, Georgia. What a place. Dallas, Georgia. Here I'm in Dallas, Texas. And I think of the the calm and you know high intellect down to earth respecting of all colors and faiths respecting my mother and all of us never putting me under the law women woman thou shalt not instead whatever whatever god wants you to do just go and do it that was the basic message for both my parents and i saw that my grandparents and extended family and we had a African American nanny nurse live with me when we lived with my mother and father and myself when we took in our my mother's sister with four children after a divorce. And she was sickly, so the nurse lived with us named Helen and we laughed and just you know, so I got to grow up with people that are real. So when you go out and you're used to real people and you're accustomed to that and they are Christians, you think that everybody says they're born again is in ministry and they're not and maybe I just didn't realize it I was sheltered (laughs) but now I know we just have to do more training those that are real those that are true-hearted those that are pure heart start training life like your life depends upon it like the life of the future of the church depends upon it and that's what it is that's why I'm talking it's for the future not me it's not about me and this ministry. not about me. It's about the future of the church and the churches and your children. What are they going to think? Are they going to think that, yeah, they're misogynists. They don't really want women. They hate women. But you know what? We'll keep on going because we're supposed to, you know, that religious thing. We want people to love the Lord thy God with all their heart, mind, and soul and love their neighbors of themselves. That's the basic criteria. But when I look back in my, you know, my memory, my emotional love tank is filled because I had happy, safe parenting, respectful, cherishing parenting, which some of you have, some of you haven't. Well, when I look back at what I think of a pastor, and I went out with my dad as he went around town doing errands a lot, and he was the pastor, and I just watched how he acted and interacted, and I was always amazed at his patience his long-suffering, you know, standing there, hear their problems, but just being a nice person to all and really respected, and he really respected them back. So that's what I picture as a real, the heart of a shepherd, a pastor. And so when I think of that, I think, well, he wasn't checking his watch. He wasn't a phone. He wasn't a plastic minister. He didn't have a secreted, more, you know, t- more prominence or get his ministry out there he just did what came every day like Jesus and that to me is safe but when I relocated I had seen a bit of Levitical patriarchism you can look at uh, the roots of Western European Levitical patriarchism our name is that and then it's really called overseer shepherding I believe but I researched because I thought A lot of people, when you get in the moves of Christian prophecy, they'll talk on, you know, this groups will say, 
Oh, they've got bitter roots. They've got bitter, bitter roots. They have bitter roots of unforgiveness. And so I thought, you know what? They're all. I've heard all this stuff about bitter roots. I've checked my own roots. They're not bitter. They're just concerned for the body of Christ and our nation and our children and zeal for the Father's house. So I thought, I've done my inner work. I can go forth and be a noble Berean and check out, with God's help, what he's trying to, you know, wants to bring out. So what I found out, I thought, if I saw only respect for, you know, pure-hearted men in my family, real men, giant men, but not famous, not wealthy, giant in their character and giant in their home and their relationship, love, and their honor, then where does this group that say they're a Christian, they say they're born again, but they're, they're very intolerant of anyone that's a female, that's not just like them, the atypical Christian or a typical non-believer. Maybe they're biased against other faiths, other nations. I don't know. And so I look and I think, well, how come I have this giant memory of happy relationships and being respected as a person, not just a woman, not accused of being a woman, not having partiality against me because I happen to be sent on this message by God, sent it as a messenger for my time on earth, wrapped up in this outer court of a Western European heritage female, albeit an apostle, chief apostle. And how come you and your earth suit are having issues with other people and your earth suit and their earth suits? I looked at America many times in the last 14 years of being down in the deep, deep south. I lived, I thought, in the south, up in Virginia, right below the Nason-Dixon line. But this is the south. It was the north compared to here. I can't believe it. All right, I've spoken, I've traveled in, I had family in, up and down the East Coast from Florida up to Pennsylvania to, on my travels for the Lord, to Tulsa, Oklahoma, many times, all these different places, spoken and done things. So I know basically the different kinds of Christians that are out there in the field, the ones where you can still touch them and talk to them face to face, they're not overly managed, even though some of them these days, under 200, will still have plenty of handlers. <laughs> People catering to do their bidding. That's part of the turf right now in the United States. Big I, little you stuff. So you honor their tradition. You love them, but you don't want to partake in some of that. So when I was out, and I'd been around all colors, different kinds of parts of the Christians, even other faiths, and I... Never, I always felt, you know what, if they don't like me, it's because I'm not bowing down to their doctrine. But most of them liked me and respected me because they were healthier. And the black people always knew my heart. They perceived me accurately. And I thought, well, how come when I moved to the Deep South and relocated, for the first time in my life, I felt like rejected because of my earth suit my stereotype like I was racially profiled accused because I looked like a certain thing and I'd seen it before so I had studied when they talked about prophetic roots on the east coast I started getting my noble Berean out to sharpen it up 
And when I studied out here, thinking that my daddy was not a Levitical patriarch, my mom could have been a bit of a matriarch because she was more authoritarian, but she mellowed when she met the Holy Spirit. She's very loving, but she just was raised stricter. She, I mean, her mother wasn't strict, but she was strict somehow. So I knew I didn't ever want to be like that. I wanted to be like my dad. And it takes God to help me be like my dad. He was so calm, easygoing. So I, I picture my dad as the ultimate pastor type out in the field with people, the shepherd, like an apostle, but not a chief apostle, start of a movement. So I look around, I think, man, you know, there for the grace of God, it's hard having, you know, people raised rough. I wasn't. And so I forgive. But when I looked at where there were like these subgroups of Christians and it was about power, possessions, more. I couldn't handle that. I don't want to be a part of that. When I looked at the women are subservient, they're not allowed to speak or hold anything, office or have any authority. And they're, and then the other groups, oh, they only look like they're size two and they got to be quaffed and stick thin and dressed in the nines and all fashion and high heels. I'm not like that either. When I moved to the area, I never heard a giant. Now, this is my opinion now. Everyone's entitled to do what they feel God is saying. But I never had this thing that I wore pink. And that is the rage to say, all women think pink. I never think pink. I never. If anything, I used to wear when it was fashionable, Maybe once in a while, Dusty Rose. It's okay. Maybe some fuchsia, which is hot pink. I like that. Maybe a bit of millennial pink, which is males or female. But you know what? I never think pink. I think yellow and blue. Those are my favorites. I think happy yellow, sunny yellow, and blue, light blue, like sky. So no two people are alike, no two ministers alike, no two women are alike, no two daddies are alike, no two children are alike. Everybody's got to get, God loves unique individuals, and I'm here for that, to affirm you in your uniqueness, at the same time say, go for it, Not everybody understands God either. If you're one of these eclectic mavericks, hey, God is too. Nobody gets him 100% of the time. I don't. So therefore, if no one gets you, you're right at home with God. The issue is when you're the maverick or you're so different, you could turn into a misfit of Satan, you know, just getting confused feeling bad about yourself, feeling doubtful about yourself. Don't do that. Instead, act in James 3.17 toward everyone and respect everyone. The office of the human, equal opportunity, real respect for the office of every human made in God's image, including yours. That's my aside. So that means a female or male are equal, black, brown, tan, any other color are equal. People with different identities they choose, they're equal because they're human. 
You don't have to agree with my theology, their theology. We don't have to agree with yours either because that's part of common doctrine if you're a Christian and Ephesians 4 and also James 3.17. Easily entreated that you respect people, but you're not a you stick up for what you know is right. You're not PC or dull down. There's so many fine points I can't get into it all. But let's go back to the... When I looked at why we would find pockets of ministry and non-ministry in higher capita than per capita numbers than I've ever seen in my life would have ever imagined in the Deep South of chauvinism misogyny, double-talking, and trying to con a lone woman. They're not your friends. And these were Christians, supposedly. One looks at two, each one by themselves, how they were raised potentially and not respected or not taught honor, and yet three... Now that they're Christian ministers and they say they have a title, why aren't they humble, forthright, honest, and allow themselves to be held accountable? Why aren't they easily entreated and James 3.17 respectful to everybody equally? Friend or foe, but also peer, fellow office minister, and happen to be the gender of a female, even though God sees me in the office as a person. So it forced me to look at doctrine. I also looked at Paul and his admonition, his command, do not let the women speak in the church. I've talked about that. I looked up Jezebel. I studied that. I put it on there in June 23rd on Online Fellowship and dfwleader.org. You can read the full expose, the pure-hearted, healthy teaching of Jezebel. Queen Jezebel for the masses to please get it out so it quits accusing females. <laughs> and so then I looked at history. I thought, you know, where does this Leviathan really? If you look at the word Levi, I researched the Levi prophetic roots back in the 2013. 14, put it up on TavoLeader.com, a mini-part series. The prophetic roots of Levi, the father of the tribe of Levites. Now, the Levites are the people who work in the temple. And you have to think, was Jesus a Levite? And this is a big deal, because if you look at the prophetic root of Levi, Levi was really born into chaos and dysfunction and didn't respect his mother or his own father's authority. He was in rebellion. He was murderous. He and his brother Simeon were known for their murderous ways. And if he's the father and there's generational sin, whoa, if Jesus was an accuser like that. I read and did a Bible study, and I'll try to find it, bring it out. It said that when Jacob got married, he, he wanted to have, he worked seven years for Laban, and he wanted Rachel, the beautiful one. Well, instead, sneaky Laban, the uncle, switched and gave him Leah, the doe-eyed, sort of sorry-eyed lady, to marry. Well, then he worked seven more years and finally got Rachel. When the two, all of them were living together in their tribe, <laughs> there was great rivalry, and Leah was getting all these children, and Rachel was barren, and God, uh, I mean, what do you call it? 
Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. Well, guess who's born into Leah's family? Guess who is the middle child of her six children? It is Levi. Everyone knows that the middle child has an identity issue many times and acts out, good or bad. All right, so we have in the middle of the rivalry, competition of the women, the chaos of the family, the disrespect over the mother of Levi, which is a rejection factor that he could grow up with and have on his own because of that, the doubt about his mother and his respect for his mother and females and himself would make him more warlike. And then we have the competition so strong for children that the two women hire their, get their own maids to have children to win. So all this is going on with the rough life of just normal days. So I would say that the pinpointing of the basic prophetic roots is pretty chaotic and dysfunctional and woman-hating. We also find in rebellion to authority. Why? One day, the daughter got raped, Dinah, the sister of Levi. And even though the father, Jacob, and the man who raped her, the head of the two tribes, got together and worked it out. And they said, yeah, the man really loves her. He wants to marry her. And Jacob said, okay, that's fine. And they were going to settle it peacefully. Simeon and Levi, in rebellion to authority, went on their own over to the tribe, made all the men, and said, tricked them. And they said, we won't let you marry our sister, let him marry our sister unless you all get circumcised. Now, did the father say that? No. Did they have his permission? Were they under his authority to do that? No. They chose willfully and intentionally to get even which is retaliation, anger, unforgiveness. And they were going to do it murderously. So what they did, they tricked the men. They said, all right, you've got to get circumcised. So all the men got circumcised. And on the third day, when they were very sore and too weak, you know, too sore to fight, they went in there and killed them, slaughtered them. Now, if that isn't a horrible, dysfunctional, chaotic thing to come down the pike in generational sin form... I'd be very concerned if my Savior, Jesus, came even on Mary's side from that tribe. Well, thankfully, he did not. Therefore, Jesus was not an accuser in his bloodline. Have misogyny, woman-hating, using all these different things in there. You know, when I used to take, when I thought I'd be a piano major and I went to college to be such, I was told I should be one. And I got into the fine arts, which are really Levites in the secular sense. I never found such backbiting, such petty rivalry competition, never happy, envious strategizing. To uh, It was just horrible. I got out. I just quit. I couldn't do that. And I look at the notorious relationship things that go on with prophetic people with levites many times and musicians if we're not careful in fine arts worship realm really more of the secular realm but even in the christian realm so let's watch out 
if we have that comp- competitive, envious spirit. Anyway, back on track. So who is the, what's the bloodline of Jesus Christ? Was he a competitive, rivalrous, rebellious minister to authority? No, he comes from the tribe of Judah. Judah means plow. It's servant, leader, agricultural. And it means that on Mary's side, because God was the father, on Mary's side, she comes from Judah. And that means also to plow. And a symbolic means, it can mean to plow up in praise and to plow up our hearts to get to plow up the fallow ground, repentance. So all these are healthy factors, and we don't see any kind of anti-female, anti-anybody, misogyny, hatred, hate speech that comes from the perversion of the faith. Perversion in ministry and perversion of the sin nature and carnality plus the law. Let me talk about the law. If you're in the United States today, and you've grown up, and you're in your 40s on up, let's say, 40s, 50s on up. You've heard all the comments. You've heard all the teaching. You've heard all the media. You've heard all the books about the Puritans coming over on the Mayflower up in New England. I call them the New New England Patriarchs, like the football team. Ho, ho. However, with the good stuff, the founding fathers, which we revere, and their Christian faith, true Christian faith, we also find that they were back under the law, many of them, because of their books, their teachings on women, and back under the law teaching reflected in such books as The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne, well-meaning, but about adultery and Then the Salem witch trials where they used even suspicious spectral evidence. If you don't know what spectral evidence is, that means that they would have dreams or impressions or the heebie-jeebies. And that would be the evidence they'd use in their trial to say that person's a witch just by their subjective feelings or their vision or nightmare. And they put people to death because of accusation and most everyone was a woman. So that legalistic mistrust of woman and also the great teachings of suspicious Jezebel, which is now in the last 25 years horrible to make it Christ following a perilous friendly fire fellowship just showing up. If you happen to look like their mother who was one and you're not one, you're sitting there in James 3.17. So it got me really studying doctrine, really concerned because, see, they teach great on the Holy Spirit, most of these. They really teach getting in the presence of God, most of them really great, and they're they're really basically loving. It's just that when they're back under the law, the leadership and the people that have sat under them a long time trained get all spooked up because they are taught that Jezebels are out there and they're ready to come take them over. And they are easily fearful and they are also accusative because they are well-meaning but they are back under the law women thou should not women are only under the man women never have a top lead uh they've got to be covered that's a teaching if a woman isn't with a man she's suspicious dubbed suspicious without knowing her no woman without a man would ever have an office or a pastor 
And black people are very few. Minorities are hard to find in these same churches. So it's a similar thing with the Old Tummy South. You come from where the shepherding started. Back in when I was in college, I used to get New Wine Magazine in the day, and it was really good. You know, because I wasn't a Pentecostal, and these this is the charismatic moves unfurling. So I took New Wine Magazine, which came from the Florida, and I sat under some of these. You know, when they came to town to an Assembly of God, I went because I'm I'm a crossbody person all my life, and I really respect them, and I still do for their good teaching. However, something in the 19 mid-70s when I was still in college, something started to go off. And it was, they started talking about shepherding, patriarchal shepherding men over all women and all this. And I knew that wasn't right. So I quit subscribing. Well, nothing happened in the area of shepherding. I went out, got married. I started being sent about the body, being a cross-area minister. Nobody ever talked about women you should. You know, of course, nobody thinks women should do much. But they're getting, you know, the the denominationals. But they're very respectful. I used to get invited by the black church to, I was invited, guess what? I was invited in the 80s to be the only female I was a head minister of my own work. I was the only female invited to sit in a pastor's promise keepers meeting to be listen out for the Lord with them as an intercessor. I was inv- I had favor. And it was an African American head pastor who invited me. But because I was also, due to my husband, going to a church that was denominational, a very wonderful church, but it was denominational, and I still had the ministry that was, you know, cross-non-denominational. And that pastor was very squeamish about females. And I honored him, respected him. I thought, you know what, I don't, men need, I think it's okay if men meet by themselves sometime, and women too. I think everybody needs to be at their own gender once in a while. I don't have to crash everything. So out of respect for the head pastor that I was, you know, going to their church loosely, I honored him and I said, I, I really don't want to attend, but thank you anyway. But I thought it was a great honor to do that. So I've always had favor with men, God's men, until <laughs> the new doctrines. That was the first 10 years of my public ministry, let's say 87 to 98. Well, in the 90s, somewhere all this new doctrine came to town where it's about covering you got to be in a local church or you know you're out of order rebellion all these things which i talk about the jezebel spirit never heard of that before started to ruin the area in that flow that i was in so i got out and when the lord started sending me out of state and i found out that a lot of this was down deep in florida too i've never (laughs) in my travels and i was learning about the Holy Spirit, and that's when I encountered this. That's why I know the groups and the threads that run. I had spoken also in Central Florida and traveled down there on many occasions. And one time my host preacher, who was a female, said that this one group that is filled, now that I know on the other side what I was looking at, this same group that I always encounter, the Jezebel witch-watching, jump-in-me group. They have different groups throughout the United States. They keep at their headquarters in Florida a list of witches, of known witches. 
let me tell you this. There's crazy-matic and there's charismatic. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. They shall perceive him more accurately and with less fear, anxiety, and getting all worked up. Ever since that period of time, I've analyzed what in the world are we seeing in the name of Jesus Christ following? What is the doctrine? Who teaches it? What are they like? Don't they know that we have the power over scorpions and serpents? And then I think, what are the relationships like with the people that are under them? What are the what are the people that serve them or duty-bound to be under their ministry? What do they act like? And that's when I needed, I figured we need to teach relationships that are healthy and the fear of the Lord. Now, you can have... It just sounds so sinister. That's why I'm saying this. It is sounding, putting sinister in the name of Jesus Christ, fellowshipping with the saints. That's what upsets me. It is so refreshing to go back (laughs) and think of my dad and Christianity prior to this. It's It's so wholesome. When I had my big assault last year in my workplace, and I had my car die, and the The new friend I met who helped me meet the descendants of John Wesley over there at the same area, the Methodist Church, they helped me out. And I started going there just to take off. I was shocked. I was basically shocked. This was an LGBT person, young woman, who rescued me, the only good Samaritan when all the charismatics... I mean, excuse me, when all the Christians, other Christians, other kinds of Christians that spoke in tongues, ignored my calls of a stranger and newbie, (laughs) a fellow Christian minister, didn't care. And I, wow, I was so grateful to be able to take off from the doctrine. I enjoyed it probably the most I'd ever enjoyed going anywhere. And I went the longest since 2012 when I dropped out of being a charismatic at the Lord's leading due to all the caustic weird doctrine, accusation, and Jezebel spying, and also different kinds of thievery and stuff. I thought, I'm not going to, you know, I don't need to be under that. I don't need to be around that sin. So when I... Had been I've been online and you know once in a while go to a certain group, but when I went there it was like two or three months and I went oh I can't believe it these people don't care if I'm a male they just are respectful they don't have big eyes little U's they're not scared of a strong looking female they don't really think of me and brand me as some weirdo because because they're all strong they're all leaders I really. That's why I really teach body unity, because we can learn from different groups that are different from us, different things. We may not agree with them. They may, you know, be more lenient in their scripture. I'll be honest, they are. But not all of them are. But I think that's what Common Doctrine's about, Ephesians 4. I put a pamphlet up on online fellowship. Mine is not to throw rocks or accuse. Mine is to say, what is the good part? I want to, In fact, what I felt after I saw the first community and how it operated on a large scale with many kinds of groups under the same auspices, as in some were more traditional, 
They had their more non-traditional service, the real traditional, and the other really non-traditional, and they were very down-to-earth smart people. Diverse. I felt that's what the words accepted the beloved is all about for the first time in many years after relocating down. There was no click, no club, no partiality. You know, that's that's what I learned about relocation. I'd never been around that you had to be pre-qualified to be accepted as the groups, the legalistic systems. That's one thing I found about John Wesley's groups. I, I mean, I'm shocked. It was amazing, a wonderful shock. There was no system, no legalism. They were not under the law. And for the first time, they were not into politics. They said everybody vote, but they didn't have anyone preaching on one side or the other. And I admire that. That's me. So I I can hardly wait to visit them. I enjoyed it. I took off. I could relax, let them do the work. But I didn't feel there was any suspicious bone in their body. They respected everybody equally, male, female, or anybody else. And I honor them for that. So I want to tell you, we can learn from different tribes. That's one thing I want to say, too, and I've got to close. I've thought about this for 30, 25 to 30 more years. Body, because I've always been in the body of Christ. I'm on, I'm a, the only kind of membership I really want is the body of Christ, the FOS club. What is that? The fellowship of his sufferings. Other than that, go where you want to go. But when I saw how that we can learn and grow by choosing what is good and choosing the hay, not the stubble, which is a Kenneth Hagin senior phrase. Be the noble Berean you're meant to be and pick out the good doctrines and toss out the bad. Don't go where they're bad. If it's caustic, get away. If there is accusers, boasters, and they won't change or repent, or they're biased, get away. There are better groups than that out there for you. But that's why I went online, because I felt like if I, you know, God showed me as a prophet, apostle, if he showed me this is what's going on in a rampant basis around America, some places worse, far worse, caustic and toxic like out here, not where I live right now or the groups I attend. But I'm thinking if it's that bad and that dramatic, we better get online and teach fiercely about what is really going on? Let everyone examine their doctrine and see who is really in the faith and who are we really sitting under. The Bible teaches me that when you put on Christ, there is no male or female, black or white, bond or free. How come all the other, you know, the other people fail to get the notice? <laughs> when I research Paul, and I got to close fast. When I research Paul, it says, don't let the women speak in the church. And I say, my theory is, and I submit it as our beliefs as a sila, not dogma, that back in the day when they were first starting the first church, they had so much pressure, so many issues, no prior de- teaching generations to refer, no other people to get advice from. They had to spend their time in prayer and fasting, and they had to fight their battles, pick their battles to get the church in place, up and running before they died, because they only are human, you know? So Paul had to deal with, his group was the Gentiles. Well, just think, those Gentiles had been raised, the women, had been raised really as slaves and probably in sacrifices where they did bad things, you know, sexual things and all sorts of groups 
from the Roman wives to the intellectuals, and then people are just common people. And like I said, the Temple Diana worship pagans and Baal, all that was the Gentiles. And then we have the Jews who are also in the group, and they were under the law, and the, only the men were educated. So Paul said women were shouting out in church, men teach them at home, because the men were used to being under authority and educated. However, back then, now we've everybody has developed and learned and taught and have, understands the difference between logic, common sense, and legalism. When we look at the church of Thyatira and the rebuke of Jezebel, they say to the man who's the head of the pastor, which they all were back then, not all now, he said, why do you tolerate that Jezebel woman who's teaching? Well, guess what? Yes, he tolerated her. He was a chicken. That's why he got rebuked, not her. But also, if you think about it, this is a woman who was teaching. That means women, some women were allowed to teach. And this happened to be the wrong one that was a Jezebel. <laughs> So what are we going to do with this? I say that if women are not allowed to teach in church, that's your choice. You have common doctrine, Ephesians 4. But I'd like to say, how come then if the women can't teach in your church, why are the men allowed to have tattoos, pierced earrings, and long hair, when that also is equally forbidden back under the Torah law? So everybody... You hear God for yourself. I'll hear God for myself. But right now, I'm the head one. And I'll call it this way in servant leader language, the chief apostle of this ministry, the chief overseer. And I like to think of it as not an overseer like a slave driver, the deep south slave driver. I call it an over-perceiver seer. That means I'm perceiving for the ministry. And if you want prayer, I'll perceive, you know, watch your back in prayer and you can watch mine. But this is not about me. This is fear of the Lord. It's about not man-pleasing, but God-pleasing, and about the future of the church of Lord Jesus Christ for your children's sake. Who and what will it look like when Jesus Christ comes back? God bless you. Gotta go. You have a great day. Be saved and act like it. God loves you. Bye-bye.